In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. This week, I came across an Emily Dickinson poem that made my heart stop, like poetry often will do. And, and I wanted to listen to it again and read it again. And here is a portion of that poem. There is a certain slant of light on winter afternoons that oppresses like the heft of cathedral tunes. Heavenly hurt it gives us. We can find no scar, but internal difference is where the meanings are. When it comes, the landscape listens. Shadows hold their breath. When it goes, tis like the distance on the look of death. Dickinson's subject in this poem isn't Advent, and actually it isn't really even about winter. It's about a light, a particular soft and dying light we might catch at the end of our shortened winter days. Those days when our trees have finally lost all their leaves and stick out like black limbs against the sky, and light fades so slowly all afternoon, if we see it at all. And if we notice just at the right time, we might catch that streak of orange as it vividly burns at its setting. When Dickinson uses the word slant to describe the light, she may be making a reference to her other poem, Tell the Truth But Tell It Slant, which tells us that truth should be told slant, or in a way hidden, so that in her words, it might dazzle gradually until it can be fully revealed. If we were to understand in the same way how that winter light is slant, we might think that the light too points us to a deeper and hidden meaning as it is enfolded in darkness at the death of the day. Now, this may seem an odd way to start a sermon on the first Sunday of Advent, but stay with me here. At the root of Dickinson's poem, I believe, is a longing. A longing to know the truth of life as we experience today in our world, death and dying all around us. And I read such longing also in our scripture texts, in Isaiah and Psalm 80, in our hymns and prayers today. Our opening hymn expresses this universal longing with the words, Come, O thou long-expected Jesus, from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. And in Psalm 80, another longing and cry for help. Hear, O shepherd of Israel, you that lead Joseph like a sheep. Stir up your strength and come to help us. Restore us again, O God. Show yourself to us. And then the opening line of Isaiah 64 from the prophet Isaiah. O oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. These are the longings of those who desire to see God at work in human history, in their human history. And how many of us have been in such a place. And indeed, in Advent, as we approach this season of repentance, we may be in such a place that we fall on our knees and pray, please God, do something. We want to see miracles. We want to have visions. We want to hear comforting words of prophecy. 
only to discover that we cannot manipulate God to act just because we want him to. Does God act in such spectacular ways? Well, of course he does. We know from the history of Israel that he acted spectacularly in their lives. He rescued them from Egypt. He gave them manna in the desert. He led them to the promised land. And the prophet Isaiah here is asking God for just another such Exodus story. As the people of Israel have lost their land, their physical identity, and are now in exile in Babylon, struggling to keep their spiritual identity in their hopes for their Messiah in a pagan land. But the reality the prophet understands is that they have brought this calamity upon themselves. In later text verses in our text today, he laments, our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. You have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. This language of God's hiddenness disabuses Israel, and it should us, from any idea that God, in fact, can be tamed, controlled, or manipulated. Isaiah hears a flat-out no to his cries for God to act in his generation and bring the Messiah. But Isaiah understands that the people of Israel are indeed the ones who are hiding from God in their sin, and so he must exhort Israel to repent. In this Advent season of waiting to celebrate God's ultimate yes to Israel, when he finally does reveal his Messiah, we are also called to repent. This is why on this first Sunday of Advent, we listen to the exhortation at the beginning of our service in which we are asked to truly examine ourselves and repent before we participate in the Eucharist so that we might be one with Christ and he with us. But this exhortation, which Archbishop Cramner wrote for his first Book of Common Prayer, also serves to orient us to understand that this whole season of Advent is to be a season of repentance and self-examination and waiting as we await the second coming of Christ. We are asked in the exhortation to examine our life by the rule of God's commandments. And thus, for the remainder of this season, we will be reading aloud the Decalogue at the beginning of each service. And then we have these other clues to this season of repentance. We have returned to using our earthen Lenten vessels and our purple vestments, the color that represents penitence, preparation, and sacrifice. Deacon Rob preached another Advent sermon two years ago, when, which he said something about repentance I have not forgotten. He said, quote, repentance is not an act of correction, but an act of expectation. We know that we cannot correct ourselves, by repenting, at least I hope we do. We repent because we are desperate to change. We long for a life that is different from the one we lead now, and we long for God to intervene, to take our lives into his hand as the potter does with the clay. Perhaps that is why this season may touch you as it does me with melancholy. In the darkness of these shortened days, it's easy to turn inward 
the dimming light draws us to our own depths. And hopefully it causes us not to sadness, but to listen to the deep questions inside us, the important questions. In self-examination this season, listen to your desires, your longings. Because if we can sort out our false desires and find our true ones, we can discover what it is we ultimately long for is to experience God's love and wholeness. Another prophet in the Old Testament who came before Isaiah also asked God for a rescue in a spectacular way. Recall the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, when filled with fear for his life, he tried to run away and hide from God. But the Lord came to him and told him to stand in the cleft of the rock and wait for him to appear. The Lord would not keep himself hidden from Elijah. But Elijah, as we know, did not see the Lord in the violent winds or in the splitting of the mountains or in the earthquake or in the fire. He heard him in the sound of a spectacular kind of silence, a sheer silence, even a gentle whisper. This is the way we are most like to hear God today, as he invites us to let him change us from the inside out by waiting on him and listening for his words of hope. And here is the hopeful part. We heard in the opening lines of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians this morning, and it was such an unlikely opening. Paul knows this church has some very serious issues and sins in their midst, but how does Paul start out? By reminding them of their sin and chaos? No, he actually calls on them as saints. By reminding the Corinthians first that God will be faithful to him, he reminds them of who they are, where their identity is, that they are those who are of Christ and in Christ, who have been forgiven, who have been given grace, and that God will strengthen them to the end so that they might be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. So even in the context of this very messy Corinthian church and what church isn't messy, Paul reminds the Corinthians that the spirit of Jesus Christ is among them, perhaps not in the way they ex might expect. He gives them this most important part of the truth before he gets to the part about having to radically change their lives. Our hope in this Advent season is that God, seemingly hidden to us, shows up in unexpected places and speaks in unexpected ways as we look and wait for him. Isaiah exhorted his people in their desperate situation to wait for that day of the Messiah, for they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And what does waiting look like? I think a big part of it, as we heard in our gospel story, is that we have to be awake. We, uh, sleeping while waiting doesn't count. Reading your phone in the grocery store while waiting doesn't count. But looking for ways in which God might speak to you in that small, soft whisper 
in the ways you might be seeing him act in those that show to you some small kindness. So look and wait, slow down this season by breathing in his spirit in your prayers and in your acts of loving grace, anticipating the miracle of his birth. Listen to the landscape of your hearts and catch that fleeting light. Teach us, Lord, to wait. Amen.